You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to start out, though, by reading uh, this psalm for you. We don't usually do this, but it just encapsulates everything that we're talking about so well. The psalms are actually kind of poetry and songs written by a dude's dude back in the day named David. He was the king of the ancient nation Israel. And in Psalm 100, this is what he writes. It says, Lift up a great shout of joy to the Lord. Go ahead and do it, everyone, everywhere. As you serve him, be glad and worship him. Sing your way into his presence with joy and realize what this really means. We have the privilege of worshiping the Lord our God, for he is our creator and we belong to him. We are the people of his pasture. You can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. For the Lord is always good and ready to receive you. He's so loving that it will amaze you. So kind that it will astound you. And he's famous for his faithfulness toward all. Everyone knows our God can be trusted, for he keeps his promises to every generation. Will you pray that with me as we start today? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. You have always been good. It's who you are. You are faithful, God. You keep your promises. And today, we enter into your presence with thanks. Even though many of us come in not in that place. God, we recognize that life might be hard right now. Relationships might be strained. There might be stress inside of our hearts, God. There might be bills piling up at home, but today we want to enter into your presence because in your presence is life and fullness of life. And we recognize that to do that, God, is to give thanks and to worship you. So we thank you for who you are. We thank you for everything that you've done here, God. We thank you for everything that you're going to do. And we worship you today. Would you bring us to that place, Father, as we open up your word and explore it together? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we talked about the place of, this being about the place of worship, right? And that, that place being not just church, not just when things are good, because a lot of us have a really easy time with worship and thanksgiving when things are good, right? But today we're going to talk about the place of worship being something greater than that. And in a lot of ways, it's those moments, that, those times, when we don't feel like worshiping or giving thanks at all. And I want to give you a little moment of honesty. Can I, this is a come-as-you-are church, right? It says that over the doors when you walk in, so I can come as, as I am, okay? Will you give me permission? Can I have a moment of honesty? You're not going to judge me? Or, and you can even laugh. You can laugh at this. It's just true, okay? 
lately I've been feeling, don't take this personally, don't get offended, lately I've been feeling like I want, if, if there's kids in the room, earmuffs, I want everyone to shut up and leave me alone. Okay? Anybody else with, yes, I see that hand. <laughs> okay? I, seriously, like lately, I just want to be left alone. Like, stop. It, my kids, wife, co-work, everything going on. I'm just like, shh. None of you, of course. None. None of you. Okay? <laughs> um, I just want I just wanted silence. And I had that opportunity last weekend. I'm a hunter, at least in name, maybe not in practice, but... <laughs> I got away, and man, when you're out in the woods, in the cold, before dawn, there's definitely not anyone else out there with you, because all the sane people are sleeping, all right? But I'm out there, and I'm like, oh man, this is exactly what I wanted, just peace and quiet, nothing else around in nature, it's beautiful, except it wasn't the only thing that I wanted, right? I also wanted some more. And that's often what happens with me. It's like I, I get what I want, but I, I kind of want a little bit more. I want to see a deer, yes, but I also want to shoot a deer because I want that wonderful, wonderful meat, all right? I want it. So I'm sitting there. I'm praying. I see nothing. Let me tell you, I've, I've, I've been sitting in the same spot for the last five years, and I have not shot or seen a deer in that spot in the last five years. So I'm ready, all right? And I decide, you know what? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and, and expecting, you know, different results or something. So I think I'm gonna change it up this year. I changed my spot. And my buddy Rory comes with me. He sits in my old spot. <laughs> you know where this is going, okay? Rory saw 12 deer <laughs> that morning. Shot, not one. Not two, but three of them in my spot. Yeah, way to go, Rory. Okay? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> right? And afterwards, we're talking about this, and, and, and Rory's like, you know, yeah, I, I asked God for a deer, and he's so good. He gave me three. And you'd think that as a pastor, I could be happy for him, right? Right? But No. Inside, let me, I, let me tell you, I said thanks to God, all right? It sounded like this, thanks a lot, God, okay? It's <laughs> a lot, man. What did I do? What did, you, you love Rory more than me? I don't know. And we all know, like, especially with Thanksgiving coming, we're supposed to be thankful, you know? Like, we're, we're, we know that we're supposed to, especially when we're entering into this season, and we teach our kids to do that no matter what they get. It's like, remember to say thank you, you know, but... It's hard to do, really, when it comes down to it. Thankfulness is hard for me. I like to think of myself as more of a, of a realist, you know, especially when it feels like it's fake, when it's pretend, when, when you want the deer and you don't get it for five years and someone else gets three and then you're supposed to go, oh, God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be out here. Like, that seems pretend to me. In a lot of ways, I feel like I'm constantly living out this Christmas story experience. How many of you know the movie Christmas Story, Right? Ralphie gets the pink bunny suit, and he's got all these people in his life that are like, oh, that God, he always gives you the nicest things. You should say thank you. And you're like, I don't think that you see it. I'm standing here in a pink bunny suit, right? That's the way our life feels is we want good stuff. We want, we want red rider BB guns, and we end up with pink bunny suits, and we're supposed to say thank you. 
That's a hard place to be. And it feels like we're supposed to fake it or pretend, especially when we're not feeling it, especially when we're not really in that place, right? We often think when it comes to worship and thanksgiving, we need to be in that place, right? Whether that's church or, or the right songs, you know, like, oh, I can worship. I like this one. Oh, my gosh, I hate this one. You know, I, I don't like these, this band, not my favorite one, you know, or we're not in a good place in our own lives. Maybe circumstances aren't really what you'd like them to be for you to be able to say, oh, I'm, I'm just thankful, I'm worshiping, God is good all the time. You're like, <laughs> shut up to somebody, you know? Like, we a lot of times get in there, but we feel like we're supposed to be thankful, but in order to be thankful, we feel like we have to fake it and pretend, and that's not a great place to be. So maybe on the outside, we say, oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, God. But on the inside, really, we're angry. We're angry at God. You start doing what I'm doing out there in the, in the cold, in, in the woods, going, God, I don't understand. Like, what, what, is, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Do, does, does so-and-so love you more? Do you love them more? Like, I'm just mad. Why, why can't I have what they have? Why aren't you doing anything for me? And you end up not only angry at God, but bitter and resentful of everyone else around you. And instead of celebrating and being happy for your friend, no, you're sitting there grumpy, going, I'm, I'm kicking them out of my stand, you know, like that kind of thing. You're wishing that you had what they had. And ultimately, both of these things lead you to this place where you're really, really unfulfilled inside. You don't have the joy that we just sang about. Nothing's ever enough. Nothing's really good. You're not fulfilled. And ultimately, we're not happy when we're not thankful. So as we look at this series, worship, what is, what is that really? I want to start by saying this. Thankfulness and praise is worship. Thankfulness is worship. We think of worship as all these things. You know, God is good all the time. But what about when those things aren't good? When things are out of control? These are these times when we start to feel really, really powerless inside. We, want to, we wish that we could do something about our situation because we're not thankful, but it turns out in these powerless moments, these powerless times, those are actually the places of the most powerful worship. We have the opportunity for our most powerful worship in the moments and times and circumstances when we feel the most powerless. Because it's our recognition of our powerlessness that actually causes us to worship. It causes us to praise, and it even causes us to give thanks. We started out by saying that worship is actually making God greater than anything else in our life. And today, I want to say that it, it means making God greater than even our circumstances. It means praising him in the middle of our storms or in unplanned circumstances, even in our times of need. Worship is deciding to show up even when you feel like God hasn't shown up. And it's not one place. It's not here, physical location, and it's not any spiritual place of things being good. No, worship is actually a decision beforehand where we are doing this constantly, all the time, no matter what. We live and we go, God, I, I'm thankful. That is worship and that is powerful. And throughout this series, we're going to be looking at how different people throughout the Christmas story worshiped. And today, we're going to be talking about Mary. And we first meet this young woman named Mary who will be the mother of Jesus in Luke chapter 1. And her story picks up in verse 26 
When an angel visits her, maybe you've heard this story before, but it goes a little something like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man, that means she's engaged, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So just to give you a little bit of background info on this, um, many of you know what this angel is going to say. It's going to be an angel that visits Mary and says, hey, guess what? You're pregnant. Surprise! Not only that, but with the Son of God, okay? Um, you would think that something like that would be really, really good news, right? That would just be cause for celebration, worship, but not in this case. It's really not in this case because for Mary, this was something completely unplanned and it did not really have a whole lot of good that could come out of it, believe it or not. See, Mary is not married. Mary's not married right now. And in her day and age, that had some pretty big consequences. And believe it or not, people back then weren't all that more likely to believe the Holy Spirit impregnation thing than they would be today. So there's implications for Mary. First of all, she's looking at the rest of her life being at stake. I mean, now, you know, when, when, you, have, when you have a child early, unplanned, that has some implications for what the rest of your life is going to look like. Your plans suddenly on hold. Your, your, your first year of marriage, you know, like, not going to be a honeymoon. It's going to say it's going to might be a little bit crappy, right? Get that? Okay. Thank you. One person. I appreciate that. <laughs> Her reputation, though, is also at stake. People are going to talk. Have you heard the story? She's claiming it's God. People are going to talk. Her reputation is at stake. Her relationship is definitely at stake with this news. Things are going to get rocky for her and Joe. I'm, I'm going to roll today. I'm going to stop. <laughs> oh, boy. Things are going to get rocky. And actually, Joseph is going to start going, I don't, I don't know about this. I think I'm going I, I to quietly divorce her. And our relationship is going to be over. And beyond that, actually, this was Joseph being a pretty nice guy. Because the demands of his religion and his culture at the time were such that Mary really should be put to death. To be an, an unwed mother, pregnant, re religiously, lawfully demanded that she would actually die. This is the culture that she lives in. So you can imagine that maybe this news isn't all that great to Mary. Maybe her life isn't in such a place that she wants to show up at church and go, thank you, Jesus. Praise you. I'm feeling good. Let's worship. No. It's a little bit different than, than that. Her response, though, reflects that place of powerlessness. Or take us through these next few verses. We, when we feel powerless, Mary is feeling powerless also. And when we feel that, here's one thing that we tend to do, reflected in Mary's response. We tend to forget, right? We, we, we forget who God is, where God is. We wonder, is, is God there? Does he love me? Is he with me? Verse 28 and 29 in Luke 1 he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, though, immediately, Mary, she was greatly troubled at the saying, though, wondering try, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this an angel? Am, am I nuts? What's going on right now? Because I just heard some pretty bad news. We forget 
who God is. We forget that he's there and that he always has been and that he always will be. Here's the second thing. We trust our feelings often when things get hard. We forget and we trust our feelings and especially the voice of fear in our life. When things aren't going the way that, they, that they're supposed to, when life gets difficult, we get afraid. And we start listening to the screaming voice of fear in our life going, you're not going to make it. God isn't here. What's going on? Things are out of control. And we don't make good decisions when we're listening to the voice of fear. We start thinking, maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe I'm actually all alone in this. Listen to what the angel says to her in Luke 1 verse 30. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Remember, don't forget who God is. Trust your feelings, especially fear. And third thing, when everything seems to not be in a place of worship, when we're feeling powerless, we lose focus. We lose our focus in life. We start thinking about all the hows, right? How is it going to happen? How am I going to pay the bills? How are things going to fall in line? I don't know. I, I can't do it all. I can't accomplish it all. So we start thinking about all of these things, and Mary does the same thing in Luke 1, verse 34. Mary says to the angel, how will this be? How? Since I'm a virgin. How can, this, how, how can it possibly even happen? There are these situations, and I feel like in a room this size, we all have them in some way, shape, or form. Situations, circumstances, places that are making us feel powerless, that are causing us to forget who God is or where he is or his love for us, his faithfulness in the past. They're causing us to want to trust our feelings. They're causing us to lose our focus in life. But I want to say, into those moments, these are the greatest opportunities for worship. They may not be the places where you feel like you want to, but they're the greatest opportunities for your most powerful worship. Because when we are forgetting, we get to thank God for what has happened. When we forget, we thank God for what has happened. We thank him for who he is. We thank him for what he has done, his deeds in the past. Mary does this in her response just a few verses later. In Luke 1, 46 to 47, Mary says, in response to kind of bad news, remember, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You know what the word magnify means? It means to make something bigger. It means to make something greater than anything else. We recognize where this is from. Even a bad situation, even an uncomfortable thing, something that, that maybe it doesn't feel very good inside. We have the choice with Mary to say, I'm, I'm going to magnify God. This feels big. It seems scary. It looks impossible. But I'm going to make my God bigger than anything else. My soul magnifies not the problem, not the fear, not the risk. My soul magnifies the Lord. What are you magnifying right now in your life? What seems bigger than anything else? There's your place of worship. It tells us something about what, who we worship, what we worship by the thing that we're making greater than anything else, the thing that we're focused on, the thing that's producing that big fear. I want to remind you, when, when I say we forget, 
I want to go back to Psalm 107.1 because maybe you're in a point where, at a place where you're like, I don't know. I don't know God. I've never had any experiences with him. That's why we get to look back at thousands of years of people experiencing the same God and saying, let me tell you something about him. He is good. It doesn't always seem that way. Psalm 107 verse 1 says this way. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. I want to point that out. He doesn't just do good things. He does. But more than that, God is good, meaning that everything he does is good. He's the very definition of good, and the things that he allows to come into your life are for your good. We always give thanks when we believe people are, have, are, have done good to us, right? Anytime, that's the appropriate response. When we believe that someone has done good for us, we give thanks. So I wonder on this, is not thanking God more a statement of who we believe God is than what we believe he's done. When we don't feel thankful, aren't we starting to go, maybe God's not good. Maybe he can't be trusted. When we choose to magnify him instead, it's us saying, no, I, I remember God. Even though this situation doesn't seem good, you are good. And I will remind myself of that, and I can trust in that. She goes on, Luke 1, 40, 49. Not only saying that God is good, but that he has done good things. He has been faithful. Luke 149 says, For he is, who is mighty has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. She says, My spirit rejoices in this news. She even, she's able, because she knows God is good and he's done good things She's able to receive even this from a place of joy and and receiving it and saying, thank you. Because God is good, she receives this as good. And Mary blesses God because she recognizes that God has blessed her. See, in these moments, and they, they can be hard, they can be painful. Feelings of loneliness, struggling with loss, relational hardship, not being sure if you're gonna make it. No one's, I'm not going to stand up here and take away from that because that is a very real place. But remember, when we're most powerless, God is is most powerful. These are our most powerful moments. And our worship in those moments is actually our witness, especially when things aren't good. Our thanksgiving in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of disappointment, Yeah, the suffering is real. But when we choose to thank, that speaks volume. It's powerful, more powerful than anything else. See, Thanksgiving, we usually think of as this response, right? Thanksgiving is always a response. Give me something good, God, and I will thank you for it. We can thank God in response. But what if the more powerful Thanksgiving, what if the more powerful worship is actually not just a response, but a decision? We are going to thank God no matter what, all the time, for anything, ahead of time. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 puts it this way. Rejoice always. Let me try to find it first. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God. Of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Some of us are trying to figure out, what, you know, God, what, where are you leading? What are you doing? Where are you? What's your will for my life? This is the will of God for your life. It starts by looking around you and going, God, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you're good. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you've been good and you're going to continue to do good. This is the will, rejoicing, thanksgiving in all circumstances, not just some circumstances, not just when you get what you want, not just when you're feeling like it, not just when the kids are behaving. So many of us live our lives going, I will thank God when, when what we really should be saying is, I'm going to thank God, and then things happen. There's a big difference. It's a big posture shift for us to choose to be thankful and choose to worship even in the midst of hardship. Luke 1, verse 48, says that Mary says, Mary, Mary says that God has looked on the humble state of his servant. She's not feeling powerful. Things aren't going good, but no, the humble estate. And what this reveals is that many of us have this entitlement mentality, right? Where we, we think, I deserve more than this. I deserve more than what God has given me. But instead, what's true, when we say, no, that God has looked on the humble estate, is us saying, no, we reject the entitlement mentality. God has already given me more than I deserve. And he's done it in Jesus. We, all we have to do is look to the cross. When we're thinking we, we aren't getting what we deserve, we look at the cross and we thank God for that because that is us not getting what we deserve and then also getting so much more. God in his goodness and his grace in his grace gives us so many good things, most of all his presence because of what Jesus did in the cross. And so there's no room for an entitlement mentality when we say we worship God. Because God has looked on the humble estate, where we were, who we are, and said, I've already given you everything, so much more than we deserve. So when, uh, when we forget, we thank God for who he is and what he's done. When we're trusting our feelings, we thank God for what will happen. We can thank God for what has happened, but we can also thank God for what will happen. And this is one that we don't really think of very often. But listen to what Luke 1, 31 to 33 says. And behold, this is the angel speaking, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David." And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The angel says all of these things that are going to happen in the future, that haven't already happened. And Mary responds by saying in verse 48, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. So here we have Mary worshiping God, thanking him not just for what he has done and who he is in the past, but everything that's going to happen in the future. How and why would you ever thank God for something that hasn't happened yet? It's kind of crazy, right? To think about thanking God for things that haven't happened yet, his promises. We instead look at all the things that haven't happened yet, and it fills us up with worry and anxiety about whether or not they will. But God comes and he says, it will, it will happen. We look at what I don't have. 
Here's the thing I'm realizing. You can't worry about what you don't have and be thankful for what you do at the same time. Worry is, worry is thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to. I won't. When God has said, I will. I will. Saying thank you beforehand, there's actually a word for that. It sounds weird. It sounds crazy. I know we don't normally do this, except that we do a lot more than we think. Saying thank you beforehand is actually the definition of faith. It's what faith is made of. And if you're thinking that's weird, how can, how can you do that? We do this with people that we trust, don't we? We say thank you beforehand. I'll give you an example. When Gwen asks me to go to the store and I say, yes, I will go to the store, do you know what she often might say to me in response? Thank you. Why? I haven't done it yet. Here's why. She trusts that I will. I've said it, and she trusts that I will do it. If she, if she immediately started worrying about whether or not it was going to happen, which may, I may or may not have given her reason to do that occasionally, right? If she started worrying and having anxiety about whether or not she was going to do that and then got up and said, you know what, I'm just going to go to the store myself and get, no, that wouldn't be faith. That wouldn't be trust. And so there was no reason to say thank you. But when we thank God for what he's going to do, it is faith because we know that he's good for it. We know that he can be trusted. Hebrews 11 says that faith is actually certainty. It is assurance. It's living as if things in the future were actually true now. And this oftentimes, not every time, but often, we're living without something because we're living without faith. I'm not saying that faith, just believe it and receive it. You know, just, just claim it. God does it. But many times, we are so busy worrying, having anxiety, getting it done ourselves, focused on what we don't have, when God has actually already said, I'm going to do it. And you will see it when you believe me. Stop trying to do it yourself. We can thank God for what he said he's going to do in the future, for everything that he will do. And it's, it's especially easy to lose focus, though, when we don't see that. When we lose focus, that's often the time that we need to redirect our focus onto the things right in front of us. Thanking God for every single thing that is happening right there. And I look at the way that Jesus lived. You know, Jesus, like more, almost more than anything else, he walks around and it seems like he's constantly giving thanks to God. In Matthew 15, this is one of, one of these stories. Um, it's right before he feeds 4,000 people. You might be thinking, oh, wait a minute, they've got that wrong. There's one time Jesus fed 5,000, and it overshadowed the, the feeding of the 4,000. It's like, oh, geez, feeding 4,000? We've seen that before. One time he did five. You know? Second time, Jesus feeds 4,000 people, and it's found in Matthew 15, verse 35 to 37. This is the way that Jesus lived, though. He lived thankful. And in verse 35, especially, when, right when I find it, I'll, I will read it, I promise. Uh, directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. Now, keep this in mind, 4,000 people. And yes, I just said seven loaves and fish. And having given thanks, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. 
and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Doesn't this blow your mind? Right? Because usually when I feel powerless, when I have 4,000 people in front of me, when I'm found in a situation or a circumstance where I can't do anything about it, and I feel like God has given me seven loaves, that's not a place where thankfulness usually rises up, is it? That's the time where, where Dave thankfulness is usually said, oh, thanks a lot, God. You give me 4,000 people to feed and seven loaves to do it, thanks. I don't know what you're expecting me to do, right? But no, instead, Jesus looks at this and he thanks, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've provided. And it, it's crazy. We have the, Gwen put this saying up in our house that gratitude actually takes what we have and it makes it enough. There is a way of thinking, there's a way of seeing, there's a way of believing that actually looks at seven loaves and multiplies it because we're thankful, because we live our lives with a posture. And I'm, I'm saying that word because, intentionally. We can look at seven loaves and it'll never be enough to feed seven peop- seven, 4,000 people. Or we can look at seven loaves and go, thank you, God. You are a good God. You've always been good. You've always provided. And I know that you will. You will be faithful to do what you said you're going to do. And I thank you for that. And we get to watch God do what only he can do because we were powerless to do it ourselves. Gratitude turns what we have and it makes it into enough. It multiplies it. There's actually, we see this. How many of you remember the movie Hook? A couple people, all right? If you remember the movie Hook, there's actually this scene, right, where, where Peter Pan, who's grown and old, sits down with the, the boys of Never Neverland or whatever, I, I, the Lost Boys, there we go, <laughs> and they sit down to a meal, right? And Peter Pan's so excited. It, it, like, they're, they're going to lift up. It all looks so amazing. There's so much food. And they lift it up, and what's there? Nothing. Thanks a lot, God. Right? Thanks a lot. I was so hungry. And you got nothing. But what did he have to do? Once he, once he imagined, and th- this is the thing, I'm, I'm not saying that this is all imaginary, right? But once he saw differently, I'm going to say it like this, once he saw with his heart, we, we trust our eyes and what, our, and what we can see, but once we see with our heart and look differently, then all of a sudden there was food. And it wasn't pretend. It wasn't imaginary. Because he ate and was satisfied and filled, there was just a different way of seeing. And in Luke 10, 21 and 23, Jesus actually says that there are different ways of seeing, of being filled. When at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. There are circumstances and situations where we look at it with wisdom and learning, and everything that makes sense, and we aren't seeing it. We're not seeing any reason to be grateful. We're not seeing any reason to worship. And Jesus says that, yeah, there's, there's some things when we look at it, it's hidden, if that's the way that we're seeing. But then in verse 23, he turns to his disciples and says privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. You're blessed when you see differently. You're blessed when you see the eyes of your heart. You're blessed when you look through the eyes of gratitude, through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of trust. There are things that are hidden from some, things that people just don't see, but blessed are the eyes. Happy are the eyes that see what you see. When you see like that, you're actually blessed. 
If there's a way of seeing that leads to blessing, my question for you today is what do you see? Do you see lack? Do you see powerlessness? Do you see need everywhere? Or do you look around and you see God? See that he's enough. See that he's provided in the past. See that what he's given right now and see what he's promised for the future. What do you see? Mary chose to see through the eyes of faith, not her feelings, not her focus. And it enabled her to respond with gratitude and with worship. I love this line. She finishes Luke 1.38 by saying, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Which means whatever is going to come, God, I'm your servant. I want to receive it. I trust you. I know you're good. Whatever you got, I will thank you. I will respond in worship and praise through whatever. May it be done to me according to your word. And you know what that really reminds me of? What that sounds an awful lot like? Jesus praying in a garden on the night he was betrayed, just hours before he would be beaten and put on a cross to die for us. He says, I'm, I'm your servant. God, may it be done to me as, according to your word, just what you say. Not my will, but yours be done. In Luke 22, verse 14, Jesus says this. When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at a table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given, here's that word again. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. When, God, when, when Jesus lifts up bread and he lifts up a cup and he gives thanks for it, did you catch what he's giving thanks for? He says, this bread, it's my body. God, thank you that you're about to break it. This cup, it's my blood. It's going to be shed and it's going to be for the, for the forgiveness of, the, of your sins. And he lifts it up and he says, thank you. Because it's not always what we see. It's not always the feeling. Because this doesn't feel good. It's hard not to focus on the pain and the suffering when it's right in front of us. But what do you see? What you see is going to be, it's going to determine what you're able to say thank you God for because I know that you're good. I know you're doing something more than even what I can see with my own eyes. And in that moment, when we're most powerless, when we're most vulnerable, when we have so few reasons to worship or thanks, when we say thank you, when we choose to say, whatever, whatever you've got, God, may it be done to me according to your will. I'm your servant. I'm gonna worship you through it. That is the place of our most powerful worship. So in just a few moments, we're going to come forward or backwards, depending on where you're sitting. And we're going to take communion together. It is this moment where we look back on Jesus' sacrifice for us, his death on the cross, 
his resurrection from the dead. And we give thanks, if nothing else, for that. As we take this, and I want to invite you, if you are here and you know that that sacrifice was for you, for your sins, maybe this would be the first time, and, and even doing it would be a declaration for you where you would say, I believe it. I haven't believed it before, but I believe it now. And I want to come forward and accept and receive with joy the sacrifice that Jesus made for me on the cross by coming forward, dipping the bread into the wine, and taking that for yourself. But as you do that, I want to challenge you to have one thing on your mind that you would be able to say, God, even in the midst of this, I worship you. I thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that Jesus was your servant, your perfect, humble servant who thanked you and worshiped you and offered his life for us. God, I pray that we would be the same. Would you meet us in these moments and help us to see what you see? Would you fill our hearts with joy and gratitude for whatever it is, wherever you, wherever you have us, whatever you've given us, and wherever you're leading us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. If you want more information about us or to just get connected, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.